This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to episode 179 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we have someone on the podcast that literally changed my life. Mike Parcell, guitarist from the band Frail. Frail from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when they played a local teen center near me in high school, I was absolutely hooked. Only around from 1993 to 1996, they influenced countless bands we love today when the worlds of emo and hardcore collided without dollar signs. Mike was very nice at the beginning of the podcast, letting me nerd out a little bit about the first time I saw them. And he was very open about the band, his thoughts now about the music, and what it means to him. Search out this music, understand the impact that Frail made, and share this with a friend. Hopefully, you'll be seeing this on wider future streaming services. Lastly, Frail has a spoken track on their discography simply called Spoken. I used to listen to it constantly in high school, and I've used quotes from it many, many times, and essentially ran my life from it. And I found a spot for it in the Anthology of Emo book series, and I think it's worth listening to to start off this podcast. This is episode 179 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Mike Parcell from Frail. Stagnant, submissive, summarized existence. We are held by ingrained silence and apathetic boredom. We remain still and lifeless, bound by tradition and Christian morals. Life consumed by the procedure and efficiency of the American social machine. Talk shows uncovering the scandals of society. Social superiority based on genetics, 10 days to the new thinner you, all new episodes of the 700 Club, media extravaganza, OJ Simpson and Chelsea is a riot girl, late night with Letterman, spring break in Daytona, New King Drips, Rodney King, Generation X and the downfall of the nuclear family. However, Life is not meant to be structured into an assembly line with the exact same parts making the exact same products. Life was never meant to be a procedure. Life is fluid. Life spins you upside down and turns you every which way, and you can't be expected to remain passive and silent through the whole wonderful ride. And maybe hardcore is allowing me to assert control over my life by letting me live to the fullest, by letting me make my own noise based on my own decisions and my own actions. So yes, this is the sound of my hopes, and this is the sound of my dreams, and this is the sound of my heart. Silence is silent. Make your own noise.
thank you for doing this. Um, really excited to chat with you and uh, got to see Frail um, a long ass time ago, um, which was very, 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 very fun. And still, uh, you know, I still think about it a lot, uh, which is crazy. That's awesome. Um, Where'd you see us? It was 242 Maine up in Burlington, Vermont. And I believe someone got grounded. I think oh, that's, for being there? Yeah, like you guys like left and you weren't supposed to or something. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was actually really memorable because it was our first um, show that we played where we had bought a van. Wow. Um, so it was our first like kind of long trip. We'd, we'd done some other long trips like in a station wagon, but this was our first uh, van trip, which was very exciting at the time, like, you know, going all together and it was very cold. It was like so cold you couldn't even be outside. Yes, that sounds about right. And this van was like, <laughs> this van was uh, a very rustic, like very, it was barely, like you could see the ground outside going by. There was like, you know, holes in it. So we were like freezing in there, but still had a lot of fun. <laughs> I forgot who else played that show. I th- I'm pretty sure it was Policy of Three. Yes, Policy of Three and Frail. Yeah. Right. I remember we were really excited because we, we, you know, we didn't know much about Burlington or anything like that then. And we got there and we saw like, oh, wow, uh, Youth of Today played here and all these cool bands have come through this place. This is so neat. Right. And it was started by Bernie yeah. Sanders' wife. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> and then I, I read an article about that a few years ago and I was like, because I've been a fan of Bernie's for a long time and just like kind of like I knew it you know kind yeah of yeah when I saw that like same same vibe <laughs> right I was like I mean that makes total sense of course your wife went yeah. to Europe and found out that they had these teen centers and you had one in Burlington so I felt yeah. pretty lucky growing up in that town to be able to have that place because a lot of places don't. A lot of places have a you know a venue for a week and then it gets shut down and it's gone. But to have something like that that was you know essentially the city sponsored it, um, I think is partly why I'm instilling music. It's a, such a huge yeah. impact, and to be able to have bands from out of town and and be able to do that and 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 bring different things, I think that's kind of what what that sort of idea was like, let's have people from different backgrounds and different things come through and be able to influence. And that's exactly what it did. It seemed to do the same thing to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. I think it's like when there's people recognize that it's, there, there should be youth programs that aren't just sports and sort of like mainstream kind of things and support other other things that kids might be interested in, especially kids that, that you know, have other ideas about stuff. I, it's great. Yeah. Um, I feel, you know, more people need to, to mention your band name, uh, frail. I think more people should, um, I think, you know, it's made again, lastly, it's just made a huge impact on me. I mean, I have a quote from, uh, spoken in both, anthologies that I did both books that I did like it's got you know this sort of um silence and silence you know um make make your own noise and it's like it's just it's been ringing true it's like no one's gonna tell you 
to do something, um, you need to do it and you need to figure it out. And I think that was, you know, a huge, when I got, you know, the, whatever the discography and just being like, okay, I get it now <laughs> was, do you remember, yeah, yeah, do you no. remember anything about that or remember that, um, those sort of yeah, you guys I mean, thinking? I, think I think that that kind of, um, DIY or, you know, kind of way of life has, has stayed with me. Um, and, and it was very, uh, you know, like empowering maybe like, um, as, as kids, when we, when we were doing that band, just like seeing that you could just, you didn't have to rely on anyone else to make stuff happen. You can just, you know, go like, go get a van and drive to Burlington and play a right. show. You know, you, you know, you can, you can do it. You don't need someone else's permission or, um, you know, help with that. You can just figure out what you got to figure out. And I think that really helped me later in life when like getting into doing businesses and things like there's a lot of figuring stuff out and just being able to like, like, I'll, you know, I'll just do this myself. I'll figure out whatever I need to figure out to do it. And I think that that, that, that was really a good lesson with, with that band. And then taking it further, like just taking your, your education into your own hands and, and kind of not relying on a, a system in place a school or whatever for information about the world and its history and its its system so i I think that yeah that was a good kind of track we got on back then i'm glad that for the people that influenced us to to get into that stuff so can you talk about starting out or 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 meeting with you know meeting up with eric or or derek or how how did you guys all get together and you know sort of agree (laughs) or work out what you know frail ended up sounding like so eric and i had been going to school together since elementary school he was my neighbor lived on the street and we we got really into hardcore music kind of together you know we we're like oh man this stuff's awesome you know and we just like started collecting records and zines and stuff and that was just like our our interest and then so we we're like you know i been playing drums and guitar a little bit and we're like we gotta we you know we have to start a band so we as soon as we could we were like 15 16 we started looking for people to play with and uh, we heard that this there's this guy Derek who played bass it was like in a in a grade lower than us so we got him to come over and play and and then we were at a show and uh another band had been playing, but you know, before they, like the drums were set up and before they got on, this kid came up and just was playing drums. Really? And, uh, yeah, he was just like goofing around whatever. And just was kind of showing off, I guess a little bit maybe, (laughs) but he was great. And we were like, Oh man, we we need a drummer. So we, we wrote to that band. We're like, who was that kid that, that was messing around with the drums? And they wrote, wrote us back and gave us his phone number and stuff. And uh, he lived like a couple towns away. And so getting him to come was kind of difficult, but he did. And he ended up being, that was Brian, ended up being the drummer of Friel. It's, it's kind of funny how we, we got him to come play the first time. But then we had like one song uh, and we, 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 <laughs> we played a show. It's more like a party back then, you know, just at somebody's house where some right. friends' bands were playing. And we played our one song. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, Don happened to be, you know, he was one of the, in one of the other bands that was playing that, that show. And he was like, oh, you know, I like what you guys are doing. And then he, he's like, I'll play with you guys too. And then he came and that's when it really kind of started to have a sound. He's a, he's a great guitar player and he introduced us to a lot of more, more music and stuff like that. So that's kind of how it, it, it formed. And then we did our thing for a few years like that. Right. What, what were some of those bands that maybe he showed you or what's some bands that you all connected on that Eric and you were already listening to? Um, I think like it's at first it was like the kind of New Jersey straight edge yep. scene, like mouthpiece and lifetime. And, and those bands, we like, we love that scene and went to all those shows. And then we got more into like the California thing, like abolition records, mm-hmm. uh, bands like struggle and uh downcast but then also like i remember we got this uh cd from this band ringworm we were like holy shit this this is so heavy you know so we (laughs) that was kind of an influence you know and um especially like on one song in particular and um yeah so that stuff and then you know as we got older they you know we got more into then it was like gravity records and like those kind of bands expanded a little bit but definitely like the kind of noisy california hardcore mixed with the more like old school straight edge hardcore bands from new york and new jersey right what about when you heard some of that gravity stuff like was there like oh wow there's this there's other people doing this there's other people because it was definitely different at the time it wasn't like i said I mean, I loved the straight edge hardcore stuff. I'm still straight edge. I mean, I love that stuff. It just, it got to be repetitive. And I was like looking for different. I was looking for chaotic. I was looking for something like that. And I feel like when I heard gravity stuff or when I heard, you know, you guys are policy three or just see, I was like, Oh, it's like this whole other world. Were you feeling that same way? yeah yeah totally i loved like just how like wild you know yeah. and just sort of it was and just kind of more just crazy yeah I, it wasn't as formulaic and kind of hard it seemed like you know i think that when we even when we named the band we we're like we don't want to be like you know tough guy we're not like tough guys really we're, <laughs> that doesn't appeal to us you know so it's like that more like frantic kind of explosive energy is kind of more what we were thinking thinking like at that time were there any like-minded bands that you found early on when you started playing of course after the amazing house show (laughs) yeah yeah i think um yeah we had like a little scene uh like uh another band that we played a lot of shows with and we really loved was called elements of need what, what they were they like? Friends. They're you know, kind of in a similar vein. Uh, just kind of spazzy, you know, like um, mm-hmm. screamy, fast, hard, punk. I'm in. <laughs> so, yeah, look, we did a split seven inch with them, but they, we played a lot of shows with them, and I'm still friends with some of the people today. Yeah, that would be the main other band that we played a lot of shows with them. But, you know, and often in Chokehold, we played a lot of shows with them. We went on like a little tour with them uh, before we even 
we had a van or anything. We went in a station wagon. We borrowed equipment the whole time. It's pretty fun. Chokehold was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, they were they were, they were great, and they were they were really nice people, and they were they were so fun to watch play, and they were pretty wild. What did you learn, like when you were on that station wagon tour with them, and what what did what things did they do that you, that that you and the band sort of took, or maybe said, "I'm not going to do that." <laughs> I'm, you're saying they're good, but just being like you know being there green. What what did you learn? Um. Yeah, we were we were pretty young then. Like I think I was only in eleventh grade. Wow. Uh, that like the summer after eleventh grade. So, I mean, we were pretty obnoxious. We like we weren't even on the shows. We just showed up and <laughs> <laughs> played and just like begged for a couple dollars, you know. And and like we, you know, I think one of the members of the band wasn't allowed to go, but went anyway. So we were like afraid that we were gonna, you know, the cops were looking for us and stuff like that, and you know, it was. It was a great time. We, um, the other band on the on the tour was Bloodlet. Yes, and they were they were not into it. They were like, "Who really? are these? Who are these kids?" It's just like think that they're allowed to just come along and play all these shows. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Like they they were not into it at all. We were like, can, "Hey man, can I borrow your amp?" And it's just like, "No, you can't." <laughs> oh man! So was, and were they on Victory then? I don't remember. So, the, so who knows if they had that? Like, oh, they take themselves too seriously, right? They, yeah, they were, they were fine. Yeah, it could have, it could have been worse. <laughs> right? No, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's funny. A little blood like getting yeah. mad at you. <laughs> yeah, so cold. They're like, yeah, they're like, yeah, go ahead, come, come on the tour. But I don't think they talked to uh, the. Yeah, the blood like guys, and they're just like, what the, what the hell, you know? <laughs> and I think that. Yeah, I think that uh, Derek, who played bass, he couldn't go. So I played bass, and uh, I didn't really know how to play bass. I played guitar, and I think I just played my guitar parts on the bass, which was like probably sounded just horrible. <laughs> it sounded. I'm sure there's recordings somewhere, Mike. That I think we can find. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until we played. I remember we played in Atlanta. We actually played at a club. Like all the other shows were like house shows and stuff like that. And then we played at this club, and I think that like looking by the reaction of the sound guys face i think it was pretty 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 bad <laughs> but a lot of people got in touch with us after that tour like really hey, you know i love your band yeah yeah and we had like a seven inch i think at that point and people just i got letters from people just like that's why you play like better you guys are awesome so did that yeah. did that have some motivation for everybody to kind of okay let's keep going or was oh, yeah it, we, yeah we were all just obsessed at that point with punk rock, hardcore, you know, going to play shows, like connecting with people, just like building a community. Like we, we were all about it from, from that time for the next couple of years. We had so much fun. Yeah. I mean, I remember a little bit of like, you know, discussions and stuff about, about things and, you know, maybe it was kind of annoying to some people, but I kind of remember, I kind of like how we would, people would challenge each other and sort of, you know, talk about, politics whether it's like scene politics or politics at large you know i definitely yeah i, I can't think of anything specific right now but I, I do remember like that feeling of just like kind of going to shows and like people talking about stuff and you know i, I have a positive memory of that for sure 
What was sort of the support that some of the labels that you were on had? Was it handshake deals? Was it, um, what, what were some of those early ones? Yeah. I mean, I just, I remember we, we like made a demo and we sold them the shows. We didn't really send them out. I don't think at that point, but, um, the first person to get back to us was, uh, Yuletide records. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we just, me and Eric, I'm Eric, we got the letter like, Hey, would you guys want to do a seven inch? And we just like, we're like jumping up and down. Like what? (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna do a seven inch oh my god like we were so stoked you know couldn't believe it so you know we didn't we paid for our own recording and just sent it to him and he paid for everything and sent us a bunch of records and that was pretty much the deal wow it was like all through the mail i don't think we even met him until after it was all done wow and then similar yeah i think that's like pretty much all the records we did was a similar kind of deal where we just paid for the recording and the person putting out the record paid for the record and then sent us a certain amount to sell to kind of pay ourselves back for the recording. And there was never any contracts or much discussion about it. Um, for better or for worse, I don't know. Cause I don't know how many of those CDs got sold. I have no idea. I mean, do you, did you feel momentum? Did you feel after, you know, the Yuletide 7 inch and then maybe the blood link thing? Did you feel like there was momentum each time you went out or each time that you did these shows or um Yeah, um we like we our first our only like national tour that we did was like right after we graduated high school. In fact, only three of us had graduated high school and two of the members are still in high school at that point. And uh, we couldn't believe how many people were like coming out to the shows and how much support we were getting. It was like, you know, in, in places that were so far away from home, it was, it was amazing. We just, you know, we played in Galveston, Texas, and there was like a hundred people there. We just, it was so awesome. We, we were always amazed by it. And then we got, we were going to do an LP on Abolition Records, which was like our dream, you know, label. And we were so excited and da-da-da and, very, very like into it. We were like planning to do a European tour in the next summer and all that stuff. And so, yeah, definitely some momentum. And unfortunately we kind of started to go in different directions at that point and kind of didn't get, didn't get along very well after that, that tour, but yeah. What what was it? What do you think it was? It just, I mean, that happens. It's it's like you've got four different relationships, including your own, trying to keep that together. Was it sonically or was it just, you know, I've got a girlfriend or look, I've got to really get a job. I can't keep doing this. What, what were some of the <laughs> pain points? <laughs> I think it was like, um, I think I, it was me in particular kind of started to, I mean, me and Eric kind of both, more so me grow in a different direction than the other guys. And I think that that that's pretty typical at that age. So, you know, they, they, you know, they were like, um, we were, we were all straight edge and we were all into that. And then I I was kind of just not as into that anymore. Um, that summer and I kind of, you know, I was just like, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Um, and there was just kind of not really, supportive of that decision <laughs> so that's that, that's pretty much what did it and i think we were just you know 
getting into different stuff and just growing in different directions. That's awesome. So total, like you being like, I don't want to be straight edge anymore. Got the, that, that's like totally 1996. Like that's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't start drinking until or smoking or anything until much later in life, but you know, I just didn't like that kind of label and that, right. that the, the vibe that that scene was, was giving off at that point. It just seemed like not my thing anymore. So it's, it is a certain label. It's a certain, I mean, same thing with emo, um, you know, which we haven't really talked about. Like, do you remember hearing that word? Do you remember hearing that word being associated with you guys? Not a little bit. I remember we kind of associated it with, um, mostly just rites of spring. And then, then people started using that word a little bit with some of the California bands, like the, um, gravity records bands and stuff like that, but it wasn't as big of a label, um, as it is, I think now. And no one really considered us an emo band at that time. Although I hear that now. What is that like to hear that now? I think it's, it's okay. You know, I know it's like kind of a, it seems like it's a diss maybe, but I don't know. Well, that's what my site's working toward, to have it not be a diss, not be, you know, a derogatory term or a slight or a snide comment. But I think it is interesting for, I think when I first heard you guys, I just thought it was a hardcore band. And then maybe I said Screamo, but that was obviously Mm -hmm. the Screamo before the Screamo. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, like Eric, for sure. I mean, we definitely like our, our, stage presence, whatever, if you want to call it that, was very, you know, he put it all out there and definitely made himself very, like, vulnerable and just, like, I mean, it's, like, heart on your sleeve times a thousand. It's, he, 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 like, he, his, his, his performance style was very much, you know, like, we care about this a lot, <laughs> whatever, you know, like, I don't know if that's, I, I guess it was, you would have to describe it as emotional, you know, he, he definitely... I remember the show. I don't, I don't remember a lot of bands. I remember his performance. I remember your band like vividly and I don't, it's crazy that it's 2020 and I'm still thinking about it. I'm still listening to make your own noise. The comp I'm still, I think that there's times where Eric and your band being that vulnerable or that chaotic, like, I don't know if it flipped a switch with me or something, but it was just like, you can do this. You can be this emotive and it's okay. And it doesn't need to be behind this mask of toughness. It was, and, uh, I, I just, you know, it's, I, I apologize if I feel like I'm gushing, but it's just like your band, uh, it changed you know, how I think about what I was doing or even just the thought process of making music. It just, it was that impactful. Um, and just from that show. That's, that's so nice to hear. I, you know, I've heard that from other people before and I, that, that, that's so great. I think, you know, we, we, we really were trying to, to put it all out there and, you know, like, Yeah. So that's, that's really nice to hear. Can you talk about the song Firecracker? Because I just think that is, uh, I, don't, I think that's the song I remember most from the show. Um, that's the song that I would play for someone if they were asking me about, you know, this era or this time period. 
Um, and can, can you talk about that song? Sure. Um, I wish, I wish, you know, Eric was here. He, he's a, I think he's a pretty good writer and, and pretty good at, um, a pretty good performer. And I think that his, like the things that he chose to write about were pretty interesting. And that was kind of about what we're talking about, how you like have energy stored inside you and with everything that, that, that you absorb in the world it kind of makes you want to explode with that energy. And I think that that's what we were doing when we were on stage was this like explosion that would happen like a firecracker. And that's kind of like what that song's about. Right. I mean, that don't send me down part is like epic. Yeah. And I think that that's like at that age, like when you're in high school and you're dealing with these kind of like, you know, this, this you know, we went to public school and, and just the, the people that in the suburbs uh, of Philadelphia and it's kind of the people that you're having to, to deal with at that age, you know, it feels, you know, now looking back, it's like we were very privileged and in a pretty safe place. And, but at that time, you know, you just kind of feel like you're being held down and you want to get out of there and, and tell, you know, and experience the world. And I think that that's, that's, uh, that's where that was coming from and just kind of feeling just, uh, yeah, held back by the structures in place. Did you think about, did you think about the word emo after was there, were there times when it, or was the band already done and, and then the word sort of got attached to it? Cause again, during it, I didn't really feel it. There was a, someone showed me a book that mentioned frail and it was about like the history of emo. And I was kind of surprised but, um, yeah, I, when I listen to what is considered an emo band now, I don't really, can't really connect with that. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> I don't disagree. Um, yeah. but I don't know. I like a lot of, I like a lot of music that people might call that. Something like, you know, a band like Seisha mentioning you guys or other bands later, um, was there a date when you were like, I thought we just kind of put this on the shelf or has there always kind of been every couple of years, someone saying, Hey, remember that band? No, it's, it's funny. It's like, uh, it, it goes away and, and then comes back every, like <laughs> every couple of years or, or so it's so awesome. You know, I, this is maybe 10 years ago now, but a friend of mine was like, Oh, I was, I went to Japan and I went to a punk show and the, one of the bands did a frail cover. And they were like 18 years old. And I was just like, what? Yeah, the same thing. I was just like, wait, that's so fucking rad. And like, yeah, so like every every couple of years, something will happen. Maybe two years ago, I someone sent me like, look, someone's you know, selling frail shirts on Etsy. And I bought one. Now I have like a frail shirt that I wear. <laughs> just like, you know, I'll, I'll just hear things from people. And now on Instagram, every once in a while, someone will mention it or, or tag me in something and, I recently got a, uh, a copy of a video that we, we played uh, of a show that we played right before we left on that first tour, right at the end of high school. And it was like amazing to watch and see, like see everybody again. I think that's the, that's the, the, the fun part. I think, and I think about this a lot is like, you know, I think about what I was doing at the show or, you know, it wasn't like we all had a phone or it wasn't like we were all Instagramming or doing these things. And there's things get they get lost or things that don't 
pass through time. Um, if they're not, you know, if there's not a giant press release or there's not a, you know, I mean, a bad example, but sort of like, you know, the Grammys, like everybody just thinks, well, that's the only music that came out that year when of course that's not the case. So especially this time before the internet really, yes, it was around, but you know, it was crazy, uh, um, you know, um, website names and obviously wasn't anything, you know, social. So to have the band still be mentioned or it kind of still stay alive, I think is pretty, pretty magical. And think if, you know, there's, there might be a kid sitting on like a video of one of your shows or a bunch of photos. And I kind of always hope that every morning, you know, someone's going to find something again, because that time it wasn't like you were constantly thinking about, oh, well, let me document this. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I, I'm so glad that for the people that did. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, uh, when I, I posted, uh, one song from that video that I was just talking about. And I heard from a bunch of people that like three or four bands started shortly after that show because they, you know, they saw us play and they're like, Oh, they could do it. We could do it too. And you know, one of, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, Lovelorn. No. Or Creepoid. Yes. They're, they're like a silly band. And you know, I, I didn't know that that guy was, was at that show and, He's like, that's what got him into to playing music and he's still doing it. And yeah, it's awesome. It's like, it's such a cool, cool thing. And you've said that it's has sort of stayed with you. Um, how has it stayed with you past the band? You've had other, you know, you've had other bands. How has that thought or mentality stayed with you? Yeah. So, um, I, I have a, like a construction company now, um, we sort of do like real estate development, like restaurants and stuff. And so I just think that like the way that we approached doing the band, I've kind of approached to doing the, the work that I do now where like kind of, you know, thoughtful of communities that were in and impacting and um, that sort of DIY mentality of just like, all right, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get this done? Like what needs to happen? That's um, definitely just been, been helpful to, to get through everything. Cause it's kind of hard, you know, when it gets hard, it's, you have to have that motivation or that, that confidence that you can, you can figure it out and do it. So I just think in that way. I love that. I just think the, that thought of most people will just give up or stop or do what's easy when if you've gone through this or you realize like I can do this, but it took these five steps. But um, just like those people seeing you perform, like it's, it's, it's almost like you're, you're giving off the sense of you can do it, but also you're probably figuring it out at the same time. Cause isn't it, you know, that whole, that whole theory of like, you know, everyone's just bullshitting. We're just all trying to figure it out. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's, I think that's true. And I think it's like, you know, an ec- economic way to be, it's, you know, like you, you don't have to have someone else do everything for you. You can, you can just figure stuff out. And for small businesses, it's, it's just kind of like being in a, in a punk band. It's like, 
you got to do everything yourself. Are there other songs that, um, like, I guess the other question I'm going to ask is like, if frail didn't end, where would you, where do you think it would have gone? Oh man, we had a couple songs that we never recorded that I, I really wish we would have. We had this uh, one song that was just like about riding bikes. And I really wish that that would have came out. Cause like, I love that song and, and I love that idea to write a song about that. And, um, yeah, I know it, it would have been interesting to see and hear what, how it would have, uh, evolved. And then, and then for you, you've, um, like I said, I want to mention, you know, the AM FM stuff, like what, what was exciting about doing that? Um, I think that was like when we, we were more, we, like we got more into like the recording studio you know, with, with frail, it was just like a live thing. Like, you, you know, the recording studio didn't really, we didn't even, you know, we wanted to sound good, but we didn't, we just brought our stuff and played and recorded it. Whereas with the AMFM stuff, we were like, you know, trying to make it sound interesting and, and experimenting more with like the studio as an instrument. That was definitely like years later. Well, I think you need to put up that whole performance not just that one song is there is there is there something in the other songs that you're not uh <laughs> you're not no, into? I just, you know i don't no i i i, I will <laughs> i just haven't um yeah i guess like youtube or something yeah no i think i think that's the that's the crazy thing about youtube too is like you finding these live shows or you finding these events that you know a kid had never seen you live or maybe, of course, I didn't remember anything. I just remember the show um, and being able to see it again or see those same things. Um, I think that's what's kind of beautiful about someone, you know, being there recording for that one moment when I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't bringing my camera to every show. Any other memories from, you know, that time period or the other bands that, uh, made an impact on you around that time? I guess another, another band that I should mention was, that, we, that we toured with actually that summer and who's a big influence was uh, Spirit Assembly from Lancaster, PA. They were, they were so awesome. They were such fun guys and they, they had these two other like guys that would travel with them that were like amazing, funny, just like crazy dudes that just, we had so much fun with them. They would they did all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, there's a lot of stories. Oh my God. We had so much fun. Those, those guys are so funny. So fun. Such sweet guys too. Did you feel that the, like the, the time period where after it seemed, you know, there was more uh, awareness or more people noticing the scene or bands did you feel like, not that you missed out, but did you feel like there was this time period that if you were there later, other things would have happened? No, I always, I always felt like very just like grateful for the experiences that I have. Like I, you know, I, that frail experience was really, really great. And I, you know, never felt the need, like, you know, with any other bands I did or anything, like I didn't really care if it ever was like very popular or you know other people cared or anything like that because i feel like i got such a i had such a great experience with with frail that that, that wasn't i didn't desire it too much from anything else that i did you had 
so many people have told us how much of a positive impact that we had on them. And I feel like that's just like, it really just kind of, it's very satisfying, you know, to hear that. Do you still have all the masters and everything? No, Who, I, mean, I couldn't even find a CD. I was, I, there was a guy that got in touch about, about releasing it on vinyl. Uh huh. I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. And then neither he nor I could find a CD to, <laughs> to get the music. Well, this a guy got in touch with me about a year ago or two years ago, maybe now to uh, to see if I'd want to put out the vinyl. You know, we thought that would be a cool idea. Maybe it could be like a benefit, but it kind of just I don't know, just fell by the wayside. He didn't. I don't think he got back to me the last time I talked to him. But I wonder if Scott Bybin, who does Floodlink, uh, if maybe he still has the masters. I don't know. I could try to get in touch with him. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can get in touch with Bloodlink. Was there anything on the Was there anything on the cutting room floor? No, I mean there are some comp songs here and there, but no, nothing. Everything that we recorded was released. So you got the day job, building stuff. It's funny how many bands from this era are doing construction um uh alex from hoover's got a custom you know furniture business in chicago so <laughs> there's there's a there's a, more than one of you um when did you when did you find out that you were good at that or that 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 was something that uh was it just a happenstance or you were doing it one day how did that how, how did that start uh i i just like um I was like a bike messenger for a bunch of years and that's just like, can't do that forever. So I just needed to figure something out. And I just kind of, I, I got a, I had a, um, a warehouse space and, you know, I got sick of not having any privacy. So I wanted to build a bedroom and, uh, my roommate's dad is a carpenter. So he knew a little bit of stuff and he was like, Oh yeah, that's how you do it. And then he showed me a couple things and I was like, Oh, this is fun. And then I just, once I had a little bit of an understanding, I just, got really into it then I just got a construction job and then from there I just yeah I just found out that this is something that I could do it was you know we can make a, a little bit of money and then I got uh, a, a really good part business partner and ever since then I've had like my own construction company and we've opened some restaurants and stuff and it's been going pretty well that's amazing yeah and it's it's I, and it's, it's work that I enjoy, so it's it's good. It's good life. Right? Yeah. It's it's not work then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It's 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 really fun and it's it's pretty creative too because we you know to kind of design all the restaurants and stuff like that ourselves and I get get into it. Well, I'm happy that that works that works out because it seems similar to you know you're kind of in a band working on your part, but it's all part of the whole thing. And what you're putting, you know, putting out is that restaurant. Yeah, no, I always like did the uh, like aesthetic stuff for Frail as well, and some of that it's like similar kind of vibes. Um, so, did you think in did you think in 2020 you'd be talking to a podcast about that that band, for something that was only around for a few years? <laughs> it's it is amazing how it just does, it's like on the schedule where every few years something pops up with it. I, I love it. It keeps me, you know, it was such a positive thing in my life, you know, and to have it get revisited, uh, 
is so so nice and fun. So thank you.